holiday edition of the quarterly report podcast of course i am your host armand lee hoping you all are having a safe uh and enjoyable thanksgiving week hopefully you guys aren't traveling in numbers you're listening to the cdc listening to the health medical experts but uh i'm not too confident but if you do choose to stay inside be safe right i'm glad you chose to spend just even a bit of your holiday week with me, yours truly, and man, what a week it has been. I've been seeing it coming for quite a while. If you're a Wizards fan, I don't know how you haven't seen it coming. But finally, it seems as if we are at, you know, the tipping point between John Wall and the Washington Wizards organization. We're going to be discussing the future of John Wall in the nation's capital. All of that, plus Deontay Wilder, Dog, I don't know what's going on with your, bud, with your man. I haven't been a fan for a while, but at least I respected the, the, the fighter, the champion that he once was. Since getting his ass whooped by Tyson Fury back in February, Deontay Wilder has managed, right, to come up with excuse after excuse as to why he lost in such amazing, spectacular fashion. It's time that someone close to the former champ steps in because this does not end well all of that and so much more but first our number one topic this first quarter sam presty hive was mad at me last week let me tell you something bro the way y'all linked up like voltron after you heard me just even offer just the slightest bit though i was a little bit harsh on y'all lord and savior sam presty I was, I knew that some of y'all, you know, because, you know, in my correspondence in the back and forth with the community that we're kind of, you know, developing here, I knew that some of you guys want to have an issue, like, ah, have a take issue with my Sam Presti rant from last week. I understood that. But y'all weren't playing. Y'all come for your man. Y'all came at me some serious because of my opinion on Sam Presti. I'm not going to relitigate. I'm not going to do the same first quarter that I did last week. I'm going to try uh, to kind of broaden, expand the picture. You feel me? Broaden the horizons. Like, you know, re recalibrate and refocus and just take a step back and try to illustrate kind of my main issue. Not, I mean, I, I was very clear on my point with Sam Presti, right? He had young talent. He moved the young talent for picks. Bomb. It's plain and simple. He's got a lot of picks. But that's kind of where I want to settle in with this first quarter. The idea of picks. Picks, picks, picks. Not just having, you know, high lottery picks. And I may have done a poor job last week saying that, yo, what they got for Russell Westbrook was phenomenal. The fact that they got the better player, Chris Paul, and then so many picks, that was a genius move by Sam Presti. Right? So what happened last week, I was too I focused too much, I think, on the negative. I thought I did a good job of celebrating his positives, because in my opinion, there's nothing he could do that was greater than those three draft picks consecutively. 
But I, I you know, but I, I heard the critiques and, you know, my ego, I don't believe my ego is too big that I can't take a step back and be like, eh, you know, they have a point. I still feel I was right. Don't get it twisted. I 100% feel that Sam Presti is overrated and gets too much praise for what he has done. Because unlike, let's say, David Griffin, David Griffin came in and had to clean up someone else's mess. It's much difficult, it's much harder when you have to come in and erase someone's missteps as opposed to when you're the guy making all of the errors. Like, I can't give you credit for putting out a fire that you started. Like, I could be like, man, thank you for doing that, but dog, what the fuck were you doing starting this fire? You feel me? And that's kind of the way I look at Sam Presti. He has made phenomenal moves to get out of this the positions that he put the team in. Opportunity cost absolutely exists. Like, what was the expense of doing all of this? We can look and say, yo, he traded Paul George, right, for all of these picks and Danilo Gallinari and, you know, Shea Gilders Alexander. And I'm like, yeah, he did. Gallo is gone. Demontis Sabonis is an all-star. Shea Gilders Alexander is a really good player. He's a nice, young, promising player. Victor Oladipo was an all-NBA player. And who's to say that Shea Gilders Alexander is going to be happy with all the losing that's going to happen in Oklahoma City? Like, there's a time limit there. But again, don't want to rehash old arguments. What I do want to do is talk about where we are in the NBA as it pertains to picks. Because not just with Sam Presti, but just overall, it's as if acquiring a stockpile of picks is equal or is at least close to standing as winning a championship or having success in the postseason. Again, I know this sounds crazy because just a few weeks ago, I was defending Sam Hankey. And I do think there is a slight difference. Sam Hankey acquired picks not just to have them. Sam Hankey, Sam Hankey made it perfectly clear. We need to tank so we can have, this is before they readjusted the lottery uh, odds. We're going to be really, really bad so we can have the opportunity to draft at the top of the the draft each year until we get the superstar players that undoubtedly change trajectories in the NBA. Now, he also made a bunch of trades at the margins to acquire picks, absolutely. But so much of what people try to wrap and make a nice little neat bow of when it comes to the quote-unquote process was tank and get picks. But the process was much more than that. The process was we're not going to sign bad contracts. We're not going to trade assets for players who aren't valuable. There is a difference between perceived value and then actual value. And we are never going to go off of perceived value. I use, this, I use this example all the time. Michael Carter Williams won Rookie of the Year. His perceived value was quite high. Sam Hankey 
got off that pick so quick, got off Michael Carter Williams so fast because he realized that he has this, this huge perceived value, but he's just not that good. We're going to move him. And he got hell for it. There is a much different, there's something much different than trading Michael Carter Williams for a first round pick, a future first round pick, right? Then trading Chris Paul for a future first round pick. I don't think I have to explain that, but just in case, Michael Carter Williams is a bad NBA player. Like eight years later, he's hanging on. He's been hanging on into the league with these vet minimums for forever now. I don't even know if Michael Carter Williams is 30 yet. Chris Paul was an all NBA player. Chris Paul is one of the best players in the league now. He's one of the greatest players of all time. In his game, yes, he's old. Yes, he's getting a lot of money. But there is no doubt. We saw it firsthand. And look, this isn't hindsight. Before last season, you know, me and my homeboys, I think I talked to you guys about this. Me and some of my partners, man, we do like this kind of prediction. Like, who's going to make the playoffs, yada, yada, yada. There were a lot of people who didn't think Oklahoma City was going to make the postseason. I was not one of them. You can't have a team with Gallinari, Chris Paul, Steven Adams, Shea Gilders Alexander and then not be competitive. I just don't believe that. And we saw they were, you know, a few missed free throws away from advancing to the second round. But again, picks. It can never just be about picks. Think of it like this. Picks are like amazing spices. My sister, we'd uh for those of you who don't know, I live right outside of Washington, DC. My sister lives in the city. Just yesterday, we go to the Spice Suite. You know, really dope. For those of you who don't know, for those of you who are into cooking, those of you in the D.C., Maryland area, man, I would suggest, man, check it out. The Spice Suite It's a really nice little dope little, you know, spot that just focuses on spices. And they've got, you know, different little things, you know, to, to complement the spices. But it's, it's you go there, it's a really dope spot, really nice little intimate little setting. Walk in, joint smells so good. You feel me? And they sell spices, different types of spices. And for those of you all who cook, you know the importance of having spices. Like it set, it can set the whole meal off something serious. If you, a lot of y'all Bama's don't put spices on your food. That's why I don't eat y'all. You know, you invite me over for dinner. I be like, ah, oh, man, you know, I'm, I'm a little tired tonight. I'm not coming over because I know what time it is. You understand what I'm saying? I know some of y'all Bama's don't know how to cook some of you, you know, whatever. It's cool. But for those of us who actually do know how, and those of us who do utilize spices, you realize their importance. But what good is a spice? What good is this amazing collection of spices if you don't have the main entree? If you don't have the steak? If you don't have the salmon? The sea bass? Right? The lobster tail? The pork? The chicken breast, right? The pot roast, whatever it is. If you if you're vegan, the tofu, whatever it is. How good is a spice collection without something to place it on? You understand? And that's kind of my that's how I look at the draft picks. Draft picks are dope. Don't get me wrong. I'm not gonna ever say that having a collection of draft picks 
is not helpful. It's not beneficial. It's not smart. Of course you want a surplus of draft picks. Like the one thing that I'm a Knicks fan, y'all know this. The one thing that I can say about the Knicks is like, yo, we have a really good, I think outside of the Thunder, we have the second most collection of draft picks as anybody in the league. You have a good stash of picks. Now, that's good. Doesn't matter, though, if you can't draft, which Sam Presti, not Sam Presti, excuse me, Sam Hinkie, my partner. Sam Hinkie showed you. Sam Hinkie had this amazing idea, like, hey, man, we're just going to tank and we're going to try to get top picks. And he took Jaleel Okafor at number three. Right? He, he didn't really have this great draft history. The two best things he did in terms of acquiring talent, obviously, Joel Embiid, that's the one he had. But remember, Joel Embiid fell into his lap. Cleveland took, you know, Andrew Wiggins. Milwaukee took Jabari Parker. <laughs> you know, you don't really have to, again, you don't have to be Mike Green, Mike Green, Mike Breen, excuse me, to realize that, hey, those two guys didn't fare well. Those two guys weren't going to be it. Whereas Embiid just fell right to him. And then he got Robert Covington, who's been sensational, especially as a value play. But other than that, Hanky wasn't this great drafter. So with the Knicks, collecting draft picks is cool, but that's just one plant. That's one part. That's one step. Again, if you view draft picks as your spice collection, you understand that, man, you can set the whole meal off. It's very important. If I have a chicken breast and there's no seasoning on it, dog, I'm just, I'm eating paper. I'm just eating protein powder, essentially. But you put the right herbs on that joint. You let it marinate. You do. You set that thing off right. Bong. You have something there. So I want you to do something like this. Compare what Dave Griffin with the Pelicans have done. Another team acquiring picks, right? They've been acquiring picks, but look at what they have done. They had Drew Holiday. They had, obviously, Anthony Davis. They moved Anthony Davis away. That's filet mignon. You feel me? That's creme de la creme. You can't get better. There is no meal. Whatever your favorite meal is, that's what Anthony Davis is. We we just saw one of the five best players in this league. Young, just hitting his prime. Sky's the limit for what he can become. The Pelicans moved that. So whatever you get back, it's not Anthony Davis, because Anthony Davis is elite. But what do they get back, though? You trade away Filet Mignon, but guess what you got? You got Lonzo. Okay, let me get some some cornbread. You got Brandon Ingram, who's now an all-star. All right, bet. Now I have something. All right. So, you know what? I don't have the filet mignon anymore, but I have some cornbread. And now I have, you know, some potato salad. All right, I'm, I'm working with something. I got something now. You get Josh Hart. Okay, Josh Hart. You know, let me get some, you know, pecan pie. Cool. I lost my main course, but I have some really important, I have some really important dishes. This is, Obviously, very much Thanksgiving theme. You feel me? But I have some very important dishes that I got back. And now I have a fully 
fully stockpiled spice rack. I have all the spices because I got back all those picks. So I lost my main course. I lost the filet mignon. I lost my favorite dish. But I was able to get, okay, I could do that, though, because I had no spices. So I had AD, but I had nothing with him. Like, I have this great player, but I can't I can't even get to the playoffs. And when I do get to the playoffs, I won, one, I won four games in five, six years. So I have to reconfigure my kitchen. I'll trade you that, but now I'm going to get this nice size. I'm, I love cornbread. I'm going to get the cornbread. I love dessert. I'm going to get the pecan pie. I love potato, potato salad. All right, give me that. And now I have a fully loaded spice rack. Spice rack, excuse me. But then what I do? Oh, shit. I, I got lucky and I had the number one overall draft pick. So I lost the filet mignon, but man, you know, I got a T-bone now. I got a lobster now. I have salmon now, like whatever it is. I have it. I got the pot roast now. But not only did I just swap out filet mignon for a pot roast, but now look at what you have. I have a, I have an entire meal with a fully loaded spice rack. I'm good. And I still have money in my account that if I still need to go grocery shopping, I can do that. That's the difference. Sam Presti has the most elaborate, the most sophisticated, the absolute best spice rack that any of us have ever seen. But what good is a spice rack when all you have in the refrigerator, all you have in the pantry is some fucking potato chips? You understand? You you can he gonna have them uts. You know what I'm saying? The the Maryland crab uts or the the sour cream and onion. He gonna spice his chips up something nice. But there's only so much you can do with just potato chips. That's my whole point. What else are you doing? How else are you building this meal? How else are you going to to build your Thanksgiving meal? You have the spices on deck. You got nothing but spices. And mayonnaise in the refrigerator. What you gonna make, man? You gonna make the dopest bologna, the, the most, I mean, you gonna make a fried bologna sandwich that just pops in your mouth, like, as soon as you bite it. Like, man, what are all these, these spices and these flavors? It's still a fucking bologna sandwich. You understand? Dog, I'm not knocking anybody. If you like bologna sandwich, God bless you. I do. We've all had it. Fry that motherfucker, man. You got the little bubble in the middle. Bet. Bomb. Dog, if you eating the fried bologna sandwich on Thanksgiving, the times are rough. You feel me? It's rough out there. And that's all I'm saying. I am a Nick fan, like I just said. So I have seen, I have seen teams foolishly ignore, right? Foolishly ignore the importance foolishly failed to prioritize picks. I have seen it firsthand and it is a disaster. So again, I am never going to complain about a team stockpiling draft picks. It's important. If you ever do get to be a championship contender or get close to being one, we've seen it. You can flip picks and everything, and you can get the player that you think is going to take you over the edge. Or if you already have a championship core, you can fill out your team around the margins to make your team that much better. Picks are valuable in that regard. Absolutely. 
But again, I've seen firsthand how a team can undervalue and fail to prioritize picks. But what we have happened now over the last 15 or so years, 20 years or so, is that we've gone from one extreme where teams don't value picks, where they treat picks cavalier, they're indifferent to them. Where we've gone to the, the complete opposite end of the spectrum now, where teams act as if picks are what's going to win you games. The answer lies in the middle. Yes, picks are valuable, but picks alone don't do anything. You have to have a core. You have to have a base. You have to have a plan. Having picks on picks on picks doesn't mean anything, particularly when you have outright said, we can't sign people here. If you live in Oklahoma City, if you live in Utah, if you live in Sacramento, yeah, you're going to need the picks to draft a high-quality player. And then you basically have seven years, right, to keep them happy. Oklahoma City already told you, dog, we, we, we can't keep people. We can't sign anybody. So what does that, number one, tell you about the future of Shea Gilgis-Alexander? Like, if, if he reaches the potential that so many people seem to think he does have, how long do you think he's going to stay there? Are you going to max out Shea Gilgis-Alexander after next year? Because I wouldn't. I think he's a good player. He's not a max-level player. And then you get back to Sam Presti again. How does he sign these players? What's his track record? It's not just about the picks. It's about the larger plan in place. Again, I'm not trying to bash Presti. I did that last week. I'm, I'm really just trying to illustrate, do a better job of articulating my position. I don't have anything against that man. But we got to look at him in the, in the totality, not just of acquiring picks. Picks are cool. But again, view picks as a spice rep, your spice collection. You need it. It's vital. It's incredibly important in terms of making a delicious meal. But it's not more important than actually having food on the plate. David Griffin has done a phenomenal job this offseason, the last two offseasons. And again, he got incredibly lucky. He got Zion. Getting Zion changes the game, of course. But he also got Brandon Ingram. He also got Lonzo Ball. He also got Eric Bledsoe. He also got George Hill, who he flipped. He also got Steven Adams in an expiring deal who's actually going to help. Think of it. He also has J.J., Look at the team that he has put around him. Zion is luck. Zion was a just a stroke of luck. If you're a Pelican fan, get on your knees, thank the Lord. You got Zion. That was lucky. That's a blessing. But all, everything else, look at all the things you will say about the Pelicans team before you get to their picks. The Pelicans probably make the postseason this year with a very low, I mean, their bill, their, their bill is going to be high because, A, obviously, Steven Adams, but he's an expiring. So even if Steven Adams doesn't work, you can flip that. But I think a lot of people do think that, okay, having Adams in Zion or having Adams as a backup, like however you're going to flip it, like th they have intriguing, you know, they have some flexibility, not just financially, but on the floor. You have Lonzo, who I think is incredibly underrated. 
Like the contract that they're going to use, be able to re-sign Lonzo with is going to be phenomenal. He's going to outperform that contract by leaps and bounds because that the 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 perceived value of Lonzo is oh he can't shoot, ignoring all of the things that Lonzo does incredibly well. They're going to sign Lonzo to this amazing team-friendly deal if this keeps up. You're probably going to have to overpay for Ingram, but again, Ingram gets you points. Ingram has value. Ingram is young. Ingram is an all-star. And then you have the picks to, to field out that roster. Like, that's the way you do it. Even without the number one overall pick. Even without it. They have a nice core. Zion, you can't even say he the icing on the cake. That, that's what the picks are. Who would you rather have? Brandon Ingram or say Gilgis Alexander? Who would you rather have? Lonzo Ball or Ricky Rubio? You feel me? Like, this is, this is what we're talking about. We have gone to a place where the extremes, like we only look at the extremes. Acquiring picks is not a problem, but when that seemingly is the goal, when you are fixated on just the picks and not the product and not how you're going to convert or flip, convey those picks into players and what contracts you're going to sign those players to, then I think personally we're missing the point. But I want to hear what you guys have to say. I heard y'all loud and clear last week. I heard y'all loud and clear. But I want to hear what you have to say now. I think I've done a better job of articulating my position without focusing solely on Sam Presti's failures or just criticizing him. I think you get the point now. I think I did a better job illustrating my point now. How do you guys feel after hearing this? I want to know. Email me at quarterlyreport at gmail.com or tweet at the show. At quarterly show, Q U A R T E R L E E show. I want to know how how much importance do you place on draft picks? Is that your main course? Are you eating a fried baloney sandwich this Thursday? I want to know all of it, man. Let me know. Hit me up again wherever you have me on social media. All right, guys. The first quarter is in the books, but we're staying we're staying in the NBA. We're staying with off season NBA news. As one of my favorite players on a team that I used to cover has finally said what I think we've all kind of known for quite a while. It's our second topic this week. Second quarter. The NBA's offseason typically, just in a normal year, is absolutely insane, right? It goes 150 miles per hour. There's so many things happening. But this year, it's the same except for it's on speed. Like, we had uh, the trade, more uh, the free agency started, the draft, and then trades were, you know, able to take place all within, like, 72 hours. And it's just been a fevered, frenzied pace, frenetic pace. And it's happened all over the NBA. But as you all know, I live right outside of Washington, D.C. I used to cover, or I used to be a part of the coverage of the Washington Wizards, so... Though I'm not a Wizards fan, this team holds a special place for me, right? Like, I love the NBA, but I watch the Wizards more than I watch my favorite team. I probably talk about the Wizards more than I talk about my favorite team, definitely on this show, because the Wizards are, it, it, they are incredibly intriguing. They have one of the better players in the league. 
they have one of the biggest stars in the league and their relationship, their, their contracts and the relation to the salary cap of the wizards, all of this stuff plays together. And what we have now is almost like a perfect storm of events where John wall, the face of the franchise, the, I mean, you could say John Wall is the best player. I think I think he is the best player to ever wear Wizards, Wizards, not bullets, but Wizards across the jersey. Definitely the most important player. Ah, I shouldn't say that. You can make the case that Gilbert was more important than John because Gilbert's kind of rise and fall play a huge part in telling the story of this organization. But nonetheless, John Wall face of the franchise, beloved player in the city, requests the trade days after it is reported that his name has been involved in a trade. Now, I should say reportedly requests a trade, right? Because Tommy Shepard spoke to the media on Monday via Zoom, and he said very carefully, very cleverly, I would add, that he spoke to John Wall earlier today and that he hadn't asked for a trade. It's so funny, like when you work in sports media, like at, after a while you get you get used to coach speak, general manager speak. And specifically when we're talking about general managers and presidents of basketball or operations or football operations, you have to be very careful to listen to what they say and oftentimes what they don't say. Because there's something completely different by saying, yeah, I've talked to John, and at no point has he ever asked for a trade. That's completely different than saying, yeah, I see John Wall all the time. I saw him today. He didn't ask for a trade. You see what I'm saying? Like, the former is saying, without question, that John Wall, there is no trade for John Wall. Like, the week prior, Tommy Shepard was on the radio. Or not the radio, but he's just speaking to the media again. And he made it clear, perfectly clear. Bradley Bill will not be traded. There were no caveats. There were no disclaimers. Bradley Bill, we were not trading Bradley Bill. When it comes to John Wall, instead of saying, no, we're not going to trade John Wall. No, we're not talking about trading John Wall. We're not entertaining the, uh, or I'm sorry. No, John Wall has never asked me for a trade. No, John Wall or his people haven't demanded a trade. What did he say? I spoke to John today. He didn't ask for a trade. You have to be very careful. You have to listen to what they say and take it in its proper context because when you're in that position, you don't want to lie, but you also don't want to feed a giant, a monster that everybody smells blood. So you're extremely literal. But I don't want to talk about Tommy Shepard. I don't want to talk about any press conference. I want to talk about John Wall. I want to talk about the Washington Wizards. Because they find themselves in a position that we all were able to see. I've been doing this show for three and a half years. For three and a half years, I've been telling you all, this doesn't end well. The Wizards have kicked the can down the road for so long. They finally found themselves at a dead end. There's no more road left, and the chickens have come home to roost. Like, there's no there's no other place to go. There's nowhere else you can turn 
There's no more, there's no other way to delay the inevitable. Like, let's look at the predicament that the Washington Wizards are in. Bradley Beal is one of the better players in this league. And y'all know what's coming next. I was 100% wrong about Bradley Beal. Every time I talk about him, I'm going to let y'all know, just in case this is your first time listening to the show. I was so wrong about Bradley Beal. And Bradley Beal, and credit to him, man, he has dedicated himself. He has worked on his game. He has become so much better than I could have ever imagined. He's one of the best players in this league. But like every other best player in this league, he wants to win. Bradley Beal, for the last two years, has played his ass off. Played some great basketball, has played ridiculous minutes, and has lost probably millions of dollars because he's on a bad team. What do I mean when I say that? A few weeks ago, maybe about a month or so ago now, Bradley Beal was on the J.J. Reddick podcast. I think I talked about this briefly on this show. And Bradley Beal specifically, and, and so many people were caught up on all these other things he said. We had a segment on this show talking about how he was not so subtle in his saying, hey, if we don't win, I'm going to leave, basically, right? He he wasn't heavy-handed, but he wasn't subtle anymore. He's like, I have the flexibility to leave. I, I need to see some improvement from this organization. And I don't blame him. But one thing that he said that a lot of people missed was he made it perfectly clear. He was like, I was up for the 10-year you know, bonus, but I was screwed by the NBA not making the all-NBA team. Credit to his agent, Mark Bernstein, who's done a phenomenal job this offseason. Credit to Bradley Bill. But he's he is very aware, acutely aware of the circumstances revolving him, his contract, and his potential earnings. He understands that losing has literally cost him money. And I know some of y'all are like, oh my God, he already makes a max contract. Dog, I don't care how much money you make. 30 million extra dollars, you're going to feel it. You are absolutely going to feel it. And also consider this. Bradley Bill didn't make all-NBA team. We talked about this at great length in the past few shows, or earlier this year, I should say, that it wasn't a snub. There were just a lot of really good players, right? There were a lot of players, and it just depends on what you wanted. Team success, defense, uh, individual success. You know, Bill checked one of those boxes, but, you know, the the voters went another way. But understand, moving forward, he's competing with other players. Ben Simmons won All-NBA this year because he won. Jimmy Butler, right? Guess what? Look at another person he's competing with, Trey Young. You don't think Bradley Bill sees this? Atlanta has gone all in. Atlanta's not going to win a championship. Atlanta's not going to probably win a round. But they have had a very impressive and aggressive offseason. And it's because they are they're they're cat they're pushing their chips in to get to the playoffs. Trey Young has the season he had last year, but Atlanta has some wins. And if Atlanta wins more than the Wizards and if the, if the Hawks go to the playoffs, guess what happens? You guessed it. Trey Young's going to be an all NBA player. And don't think that Brad doesn't understand that. Again, I'm not saying it's petty. I'm not saying it's jealousy. It's business. These guys have the CBA, the Players Association, they have tied a player's individual honors to their contract. 
So yeah, if I'm Brad, I'm like, dog, I've given y'all two years and we haven't done shit. I'm sick of this. And that's an important part. Bradley Bill, so many people want to overlook or ignore or dismiss Bill's role in this situation when it comes to John Wall. The Wizards, again, reportedly talked about, and the report said that there wasn't any traction to it. But it was just a discussion between the Rockets and the Wizards for John Wall and Russell Westbrook. You know, John Wall is an important player. He's an important piece of D.C. sports. But John Wall's contract is an albatross. Like, there's no other way to describe it. I love John Wall. I hope John Wall comes back better than ever. I hope he proves all the doubters, myself included, wrong. But if you go to my Instagram, I'm talking about the odds, specifically of returning from an Achilles. And I do a whole segment on this, so I'm not going to talk about it much. But check it out, man, because there's so many people who are banking on the Wizards' success on John Wall returning to his old form. Again, Bradley Bill has already told you, I want to win. I'm tired of this play, missing the playoffs. I'm tired of not competing. I want to win because it's cost. Number one, I'm a competitor. You know, early in my career, we were winning first round series. We were competing, trying to get to the conference championship. Our trajectory looked completely different than where we are now. Now I am in my prime. My peers are playing for championships. Dog, Jason Tatum is younger than Bradley Bill. Came in the league much later than Bradley Bill. Jason Tatum has already been to two conference championships. Bradley Bill hasn't been to one. Jason Tatum has already been an all-NBA player. Bradley Bill hasn't. Like, these guys are competitors, bro. And Bradley Bill wants to win. But one of the main reasons why Bill can't win is because there's so much money tied into a player who has not played. It's not John Wall's fault. But his body, you know, it could be failing him. So I will ask you this. Do you think a team who has gone out of their way to say on every single occasion, we are building around Bradley Bill. Bradley Bill is our franchise player. We will not trade Bradley Bill. We want to win. We are going to build around Bradley Bill. Do you honestly think that a team would have discussions about trading their biggest star, the franchise player, the guy who is most tied to this organization, the guy who makes the most money, the guy whose voice carries the loudest? You think they would talk? have discussions about moving him without talking, without, you know, running it by the player who they tell everybody that they're going to build around? Of course not. We have reporters from the national level all the way down, all the way down, talking out loud now, putting their names. There's, a, there's an issue between these two. John Wall, his name is being uh, it's being tossed around. Discussions. Like, <laughs> there's so many people, so many Wizards fans that I come across who, ref who just refuse to listen 
to respected journalists. This isn't just some guy online with a website. Oh, these are these are like the top, the creme de la cremes. So John gets upset. His feelings are hurt. And I don't, you know, I also want to say this. I don't think of it as John Wall being a diva. So many, like, it's so nasty. I don't even want to say nasty, but it's interesting. The John Wall divide between the people who really, really love him and the people who are like, man, you got to move on from him. It is very much, it seems to be very cultural. Everybody that I'm super, like, I'm, the people I'm cool with, the people who meet my family, the people I'm chilling with, the people I talk to on a regular, they love John Wall, bro. Like, you cannot underestimate, you cannot under, you can't, you can't cut short, you can't fully appreciate what John Wall means to this community, the time that he has invested, the time he has poured into this community outside of the basketball court. How much that means, how much that resonates to people. John Wall does certain things, and again, depending on your upbringing, depending on the people you're comfortable with, some things get dismissed. Other people make a huge deal out of it, and there's no right or wrong way. It's however something rubs you, right? John Wall does the gang sign video, you know, this summer, I guess, what, for his birthday or whatever. And I saw it, and I was like, damn, dog, that was stupid. What you doing? But I wasn't offended by it. I was just like, dog, that's stupid. There are people, Wizards fans, who see that and are scared. And I'm not judging. You can make whatever of, it, of that you want. John Wall been throwing up gang signs in games <laughs> since he came in the league. Everybody know John is banged. Everybody know John go blood. Like, everybody know that. Well, the people I'm around. The most know that. And that doesn't rub anybody the wrong way. It's not that I think John Wall going to catch a body after the game. Nah, John a good dude by all accounts. And I don't know him. But you see it. But that rubs some people the wrong way. Some people really don't like John Wall. And again, I'm not going to speak nothing ill of anybody. I don't know why I'm not going to speak for anybody. But that's the case. And it oftentimes, very, it, it seems very real that the John Wall love in this area is split, and most of it is cultural. But let's go beyond that. John Wall makes a lot of money. He's coming off an Achilles tear. Hadn't played the last two years, two and a half years, really. This team won 25 games last year. They have not improved the roster by any significant margin. The one thing that you can say is they're getting John Wall back. If I'm Bradley Bill... You're basically saying the, the key for me to having the team success is completely tied in to a player who's hurt all the time. It doesn't mean that Bradley Bill and John Wall don't rock with each other. It doesn't mean that John Wall and Bradley Bill hate each other. Though John Wall has told us years ago, but still he said it. Doc, we don't like each other. <laughs> he said that. I remember seeing it, and I also remember getting a call, like seeing the call being made to management and my former employee, and then them pulling that from the television. Like, they, whatever, I'm not going to get into that. But the fact of the matter is, I don't think John Wall and Bradley Bill hate each other, but I do think that 
that Bradley Bill has correctly realized, hey, my fortune, my success in D.C. is tied to this man. And John Wall, I don't think he's a diva by this. I, I, I skipped this point, right? John Wall gets upset. He gets, I guess, in his feelings a bit that Tommy Shepard correctly is like, hey, we're building around Bradley Bill. Bradley Bill's the franchise player. John Wall gets upset, and it's easy for people to be like, oh, man, that's you being a diva. Oh, man, you're being a diva. John Wall just turned 30. I don't know how long John Wall has been playing basketball, but I would assume he started before he turned 15. And I also would assume that John Wall has been the best player who's been playing basketball pretty much his entire time since he picked up the, the ball, since he started the sport. He's been the best or one of the best. So for the majority of this man's life, he has been the number one guy. You feel me? He's been that. So I do can I can understand how, yo, he feels some type of way now that he's not anymore. And not only is he not the number one guy, he's being looked upon as if he's somehow this obstacle. Like he's not the reason why we're going to have success. He's the reason why we can't have success. Yeah, I can see how that hurts. All of this is part of what is so intriguing about this team because for me, I have long since felt they should have blown it up. When they traded Otto Porter, they should have also traded John and they should have also traded Brad. But with trading Brad, and they've been playing with fire for the past few seasons, but it's worked out for them, right? Because Bill has only gotten better. His value has only increased. But I will say this, and I tweeted this from my personal web uh account over the weekend Bradley Bill is the equivalent of chips in Las Vegas or chips in Montreal or the Caribbean wherever you go that you gamble Bradley Bill's chips Bradley Bill is you had a great night whatever your game is poker blackjack roulette craps whatever slots don't matter you were hot you were amazing. You were couldn't miss. And you had a great night at the tables. And Bradley Bill, he's the chips. A form of currency, right? Now, depending on what country you're in, what casino you're in, some places, hey, man, in the casino, they may have, you know, a restaurant or they may have a, a, a show, magic show, whatever you want to go, and you can pay with the chips, Right? But in this case, you can't. You tried it. You we went to a restaurant, saw the nice, you know, menu, whatever. Try to pay with the chips. They're like, nah, we don't, we don't, we can't, we don't accept the chips as payment. Though we all understand the chips are form of currency, right? Flip it to basketball. The Wizards, they have the player, and they have tried to win with that said player. They have tried to cash in with Bradley Beal, but it hasn't worked. Right? Bradley Bill does all this phenomenal stuff, scores all these points, all of this. Beautiful player, beautiful skill set. Everybody wants him. But for whatever reason, it has not turned into wins. You can't get that five star meal with the chips. The Wizards can't get this, this deep playoff run with Bradley Bill. But his value is still high. So just like you 
getting rejected trying to pay for your meal with your chips, you still know I can always go and cash these out and get the money then come back, right? But for whatever reason, the Wizards don't cash out. The Wizards have all of these chips, so valuable. But instead of cashing them, the Wizards go to their homeboy's house. Then you go to your girl's house. If you were at the casino in the Caribbean, you go chill on the beach. Right? If you're in the casino in Montreal, you go see the Habs play. If you're in Vegas, maybe you catch a Raiders game. Whatever the case, you have all of these chips. All of it. Super, super valuable. But you haven't cashed them out yet. You've tried. You try to get the money. You try to spend. You try to pay that car note with the chips. Don't work. All right. The Wizards have tried to win with Brad. It ain't working. It's two years now. It's just not working. But you still have value. And for whatever reason, the Wizards do not want to cash in Bradley Bill. And I say this because when you look around, we are heading into a condensed season. There's only one thing that can depress Bradley Bill's value. There's only one thing. And I don't know if you've been looking around, and I don't want to speak it on anybody, so I'm not going to say it. But look at some of the best teams in the league. Look at some of the best players in the league. Last year, we were without a handful of players, star players. Couldn't step on the court. You're playing with fire. Saying, speaking of the Wizards now, you have all these chips and you haven't cashed it in. And I don't know what the, the holdup is because, again, look at the dilemma Washington is in. Bradley Bill is now being vocal. If we don't win, my contract is built as such that I have flexibility that I can leave. The Wizards can't be big time spenders in free agency. Because of the money they're paying Brad, the money they're paying John, and now the money they're paying Davis Burton. They paid a specialist $16 million annually. He's the third highest paid player on their team. Davis Burton is a phenomenal scorer. One of the handful of best shooters in this league. When I mean handful, I mean like Steph Curry, healthy clay, you know, like creme de la creme. He's, he's really valuable. But he also is a specialist, meaning he doesn't do anything else. Davis Bertans is very, very good. But he doesn't help you on defense. He doesn't help you with rebounding. He doesn't help you with your team free throw rate. There are a lot of, he, he does one thing, and that one thing is extremely valuable, but that's all he does. The Wizards have no room to improve their roster. You have basically said the only way that we are going to get back to not only appeasing Bradley Bill to make him comfortable to stay here, but to get to where we all want to go, and that's to get advanced in the playoffs and become another a contender in the East again. You're putting all of that on John, who's coming off of the worst injury that you can have as a basketball player. It's And now... You're saying, you know what? We may not even want to trade you. It's wild. It's fascinating. 
it's engaging, but it's wild. Again, if I'm the Wizards, I trade everybody because there's no path forward, no real success. Maybe, maybe John comes back and is better than ever. I hope that happens. And maybe, maybe he and Brad have this great chemistry and they don't miss a beat. And maybe, maybe Rui Hachimura improves so much so that and he's a phenomenal defender and Isaac Bonga takes this huge leap forward and is a legit starting caliber small forward in the league and Thomas Bryant is better at rim protection. Whatever. All of the positives happen for the Wizards. Maybe that happens. But what percent chance would you put that at? All things go well for Washington. 25% chance? It's still good. One out of four, 20% chance? Now ask yourself, what's the what's the likelihood that John Wall re-injures himself? And again, we don't want to speak this into existence. But what's the what's the likelihood that John Wall has a setback in a condensed season, the one we're about to have? Because if John does have a setback, you're pretty much guaranteed they're not making the playoffs. So if John Wall does have a setback, you then can say that the same likelihood that Brad's not going to stay here. You see what I'm saying? They have kicked this can so much, but they are coming up to a dead end, and there's no more room. There's no wiggle room. They're not there yet, but, you know, I've been calling this for three years now. A lot of y'all have been seeing it too, but some of you all, many of you all, especially if you're a Wizards fan, man, your emotions have blinded you. You wanted something to work so badly. And I get it, man. That's part of being a fan. You're a fan of John. He's homegrown. You're a fan of Brad. He's homegrown. You've seen these guys rise up. You've seen Brad transform himself into a legit star player in this league. That's fun. You don't want to see guys who you've groomed then go away and then turn into a central piece to a championship roster. But I will say this. It's not lost on me that all these teams who covet Bradley Beal, they don't want him to be the foundational piece. They don't want him to be the franchise player. They want him to be the second or third option. There's only one team who wants to build around Bradley Beal. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? There's only one team, and that's the Wizards. I don't know what happens with John. I suspect that they do trade him. I also, you know, I get why people love John and were so turned off by it. But getting Russell Westbrook back for John Wall, like that's not, you got to understand where John Wall's value is, man. Like Russell Westbrook is a better player. He's a better player. You can talk about fit all you want. We don't know a John and Brad fit anymore. We have no idea. We don't know if John Wall and Rui Hachimura fit. John Wall and Isaac Bonga. We don't know if these guys fit. We ain't seen them play. If you could get off of John Wall's contract with three years remaining and get Russ, yes, I know he has three years remaining as well. He just was an all-NBA player. He's a handful of, he's like, what, three years removed from MVP? Come on, y'all. And I love, I say this as a John Wall fan. I say this as a John Wall fan. 
But this is the predicament that you get in. You've turned the keys over to Brad. You're doing everything to appease him. And now you're straddling the fence. You want to win the most games possible. But you don't want to trade future assets away to move John. Because if you do, you know if it doesn't work, Brad leaves it. Then you shit out of luck. When you have a contract like John's. And you have, you know, his injury issues as well. You're going to have to eat an L. It's just a matter of is it a capital line, capital one, a lowercase one, what size is the font? You're going to eat an L at some point. I don't envy Tommy Shepard at all. But it's been fascinating to see how this all plays out. Because look, I think we all know how this ultimately ends. Like, like there's no... Brad, I, just, I don't even think I'm going out on a limb to say that, yo, Brad's not going to resign here. And that John's not going to be what he once was for a long, prolonged period of time. That's what I think. I don't know anything. It's a guess. I think it's a... And, you know, I've been wrong before. Won't be the last time. Won't be the first. But I, I feel safe in saying that that's how this ultimately plays out. But how can you... Right, lessen the blow. How can you lessen the impact? Because it's going to hurt at some point. Again, you're going to have to eat the L. But how big is the font? And is it capitalized or is it lowercase? <laughs> guys heard the horn. That means we are at halftime this week, man. You know, I could talk about the Wizards all day long. I know a lot of you Wizards fans probably didn't like that quarter. But again, man, the most important thing, the, the most important thing you could do is be honest with yourself. Self-assessment, man. You got to know where you are. You got to know where you stand, how far you are from your goals, how realistic they are to achieve, man. You got to be real with yourself because you if you ain't real with yourself, man, you ain't real with anybody. Nobody going to be real with you. But halftime this week. It's about, you want to talk about real. We can talk about real this halftime, bro. Last Thursday, I told myself I wasn't going to watch. And we're not going to watch the versus matchup because that's that's that was too real. That was too real. I was like, man, they playing around. They, they, this was not a good idea, and I wasn't going to watch. But then a few of my partners was texting me, and they was like, man, these dudes are super late. they in the strip club, boom, 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 boom. So I turned it on, and as I turned it on, I see Stacey Abrams. Stacey Abrams is talking to the millions of people who are watching this versus battle. And then right after... She gives her, you know, her, you know, I don't want to say pep talk, but, you know, she speaks to the people. This is Georgia all the way. Can't get more Georgia, can't get more Atlanta than Gucci versus Jesus. After that, they start to battle, and Gucci starts with round one, and I was like, I'm hooked. <laughs> I couldn't turn it off. He started their competition with a diss. Needless to say, this brought up. Those 2005, 2006, 7, that's my era. That was my run. You know, I, I was outside. I, I was outside, outside for this. I know this very well. So I was hooked, and I watched the entire thing. And a lot of you all did as well. It was funny. People who don't know nothing about Gucci, people who haven't sang a Jeezy lyric in a decade plus, everybody's talking about this. And it got me thinking, man, if these dudes can... And I don't really know if they pieced it up, but 
if they can kind of chill out of that environment where it felt like it was seconds away from popping off, man, maybe versus is the bridge, right, to unite other bitter rivals. Take a listen. First, it was Bounty Killer versus Beanie Man. Then it was Gucci Mane and Jeezy. Now, Swiss Beats, Timbaland, and Versus are going to help two other legends finally bury the hatchet after years of a bitter rivalry. This December, we finally will answer, who's the real Superman? This holiday. Everybody out there. Don't ever give up on you. Give up on your dream. Put the kryptonite away. You know what I don't like as a player though? What's that? So a lot of players on their little Instagram bragging like they were the reason they got the championship. I ain't gonna say no names. There was a lot of that going on. <laughs> I, I ain't gonna say no names. You don't done. have to. You don't have to. Sit you your don't... ass down. You didn't do nothing. Stop it. But I already know well, who you're talking about. You know I, it too. I know you know who I'm talking about. Stop it. There Front were... runner. By the way, uh. Um... Bandwagon jumper. Stop it. <laughs> oh. Stop it. Don't be talking to me like you know players. Sit your ass down. By the Stop way, it. Lakers front office. Post one pick and sit your ass down. <laughs> By the way, Lakers front office. Follow your dreams and I can't believe it. Sit your ass down. Stop it. You ain't do nothing. Seriously. Oh, wait a minute yeah. now. As Versus proudly presents Shaquille O'Neal versus Dwight Howard. Presented by Sarah. Hey, yo, Shaq job bully, huh? <laughs> I was looking for, like, any time that Dwight may have talked spicy to Shaq over the years because they've been having this, like, little back and forth, which is so juvenile, right? Because it all stems from Dwight Howard, who couldn't help that he was drafted to Orlando. Orlando, the team that Shaq left. Dwight Howard starts calling himself Superman, a nickname that Shaq gave himself. And, like, you know, Shaq died, like, what, 15, 20 years older than Dwight? And he carried on this beef, and he just picking on Dwight, man. Dwight got, like, all types of issues going on in his life. You know what I'm saying? He was this close from being out of the league because of injury. And Shaq just keep on taking shots. It's, like, it's not the funniest thing, but in, re in reality, he job bully. But, you know, after watching the versus thing, like I said, man, I, I told y'all, I, I didn't intend on watching it. And then... Jeezy starts the whole battle playing a disc record. And I'm like, bro, what? <laughs> it felt so tense in there. I'm watching this joint in my crib, not anywhere close to Atlanta. I'm watching this joint, and I'm like, yeah, they need to shut this whole thing off. Because you ever, maybe, maybe this has happened to you, where you got a homeboy who doesn't really handle conflict well. Somebody in your life, family member, cousin, homeboy, whatever the case may be. And, like, y'all may go out and you know he's dealing with something, you know, some type of issue that you don't necessarily believe that he can handle. You ever go out sometimes with somebody and you know they just looking for a fight? That's what it felt like Gucci was doing, Slim. Gucci wasn't even playing his best songs. He was just antagonizing him, standing at, Rapping these songs, looking dead at Jeezy. Jeezy trying to sit there, 
do the whole peace thing, kumbaya, whatever, whatever. He's sitting down, Gucci standing up the whole time, rapping these lyrics right to him. I was like, Slim, you know when you about, like, you walk into a place and you can feel the tension being like real, real thick, and you're just like, nah, man, we need to get up out of here. Nothing has popped off yet, but there's like this little sixth sense. And maybe everybody don't have it. I don't know. Maybe you have had to have been in the scrap or been in some high tense situations before. But there's something inside of me that when I get into a room or an environment, whether it's a party, whatever the case, and I walk in and you can kind of see something, no fights yet, but you can see somebody's looking at somebody a little bit different. There's a tense situation, people standing close to each other, but it's not friendly. And you just like, hey, let's go ahead, man. You see that right there? We need, we don't need to be here right now. That's kind of what it was feeling like watching this verses. I'm like, dog, this ain't gonna go down well, Slim. And I swear, it felt like we was, we was like 20 seconds away. <laughs> we felt like we was one bad. Somebody say one little thing out of line, and it was like we were tempting fate, bro. But luckily for everybody involved, nothing happened. It didn't pop off. They performed icy man icy one of the most overrated songs of all time but the significance of the song is because of what happened afterwards right so whatever shout out to gucci i'm more of a gucci fan than a Jeezy fan anyway it was entertaining it was riveting <laughs> you know what i'm saying and clearly you know many others felt the same way because that did like crazy numbers they were saying that more people watched that than were watching award shows and stuff so shout out to swift shout out to tim man they really they really tapped into something this this quarantine with the versus stuff. So we'll see where it goes from here. Hopefully, you know, we don't we don't tempt fate like that anymore. All right, y'all. Halftime adjustments have been made. Hopefully, you guys are enjoying yourself thus far. One half is already in the books, which means we have two quarters left. And for our third quarter this week, we're stepping inside the squared circle as boxing has continued this impressive finish to 2020 and we've got another super fight coming next week it's someone who probably lost the first big fight this year who continues to stay in the limelight for all of the wrong reasons it's our third topic this week third quarter somebody come get y'all man joe deontay wilder <laughs> again it's I'm, I'm so glad this fight with tyson fury happened pre-pandemic because it received so much attention. It was for all of the ill will, for all of the nastiness, for all of the petty bickering and the quote unquote cold war that exists between Bob Arum and Al Heyman, top rank in PBC. They did Fury Tyson so well. I'm so glad that they put on that type of a, uh, you know, a spectacle. And it happened. Everyone was talking about it. Everyone saw it. It happened before the pandemic. Man, it feels like ages ago, honestly. But I'm so glad it happened. Just so people can finally. Man, I've been on this show for so long now. Telling y'all. And I used to like Deontay Wilder. You know, he was a young, athletic, American boxer obviously has amazing charisma and it goes without saying he has like you know spectacular punching power and when he first burst onto the scene 
I was like, yo, this is super dope. We got a, a guy who looks like he's a defensive end boxing, like boxing, an American boxer who looks in like that, who moves like that, who punches like that. We haven't had one of those in forever. And I remember watching him for year, for a few years. Like, okay. And then it became, you know, why isn't he getting better? Why isn't he getting better? Why isn't he improving? Why does it feel like he's not learning how to box? But he was such an amazing puncher, and he's American, and he has the charisma, and he looks like a physical specimen. So he just took off. So with the, without ever having to dedicate himself to his craft, without ever having to actually learn, right, to get up, fall down, to struggle, and to persevere. And I don't want to. I don't want to do all that. Actually, My, let me let me take that back, because that's not fair. Because anybody who boxes for a living, you put yourself on the line every single time. Again, I've said this time and time again. Every time you practice, every time you spar, you are putting your life on the line. Like, it's that serious. So I want to show the necessary respect to Deontay Wilder. But after the world saw him lose for, honestly, the second time to Tyson Fury, but get his ass kicked. Deontay Wilder got his ass kicked. And it's one of the last images in the sports world prior to COVID that we all remember. We remember the Super Bowl. We remember Deontay Wilder getting his ass whooped. And since that night, let me go down the list of excuses from the former heavyweight champion of the world. First, it was, man, you know what? My ring walk outfit, it was too heavy. I'm wearing 30 pounds. I'm wearing 30 pounds of ring gear walking into the ring. Mind you, he was the motherfucker who decided to wear that shit. Coming down that joint looking like Super Shredder. Ain't nobody tell you to wear that. You got skulls on your shoulders, lights. I was like, what are you doing, brother? But he blamed the loss on the heavy costume that he chose to wear to the ring. Then it was, oh, nah, man. Tyson Fury, he moved his fist down within his glove. If you look, it was like they did the Zapruder film with the with this. Oh man, his hands weren't fully in the gloves. He was punching me from like, you know, the actual wrist angle. And you could tell his fists weren't in the glove. All this dumb stuff, right? Then it was, no, it wasn't that his hands weren't out of the glove. It was that he had a heavy object in his glove. It was water, there was lead, there was something in his gloves. It made them punch me like that. I wasn't, it wasn't. Then, then after saying there was a foreign object, like this is WWF in the gloves, man, my water was spiked with muscle relaxer. Honestly, honestly, I'm not making any of this up. These are the claims that have come from Deontay Wilder since that loss in February. We go from the ring walk outfit being too heavy to now the water was spiked with muscle relaxer. But I'm not done. He's saying Kenny Bayless was unfair. The, the ref, excuse me. 
the ref took a point away from Tyson Fury. <laughs> you understand? And then last but not least, Mark Breland was disloyal and that Tyson Fury was scratching me. That's why my ears started bleeding because he was scratching me. Don't ask me how, bro. I don't know what it's like to lose in a fight in front of the entire world. I've lost my share of fights. I won way more than I lost. Let's keep that funky. You understand? Back in that day, I was nice with their hands. But I lost my fair share. Anybody get up here and tell you they never lost a fight, you know they probably never been in a fight. Okay? Lost my share of fights. And you lose a fight in front of your homeboys. If it's a small little thing, all right, you know, you got to eat that shit. But you can bounce back. But when it's the whole world, when there's youngins there, when, when it's people who you ain't even cool with like that, when there's a lot of people seeing you lose, oh, man, that, that eats at you, right? That hurts. So I can only imagine how Deontay Wilder must have felt. 800,000 800, Americans spent $80 to watch that fight. They said it was pirated. They said it was like 80 million people pirated. I don't know how many people saw it overseas. Yo, and you got your ass kicked. It's one thing to lose a fight. It's another to look like that. I can only imagine how difficult that that is. But somebody who cares about Deontay Wilder needs to shake that whatever's going on with him. Because this is a man who wants to get back in the ring with Tyson Fury. Tyson Fury, say whatever you want about Tyson Fury. And there's a lot to be said. However, he's moving on from Deontay Wilder. And a lot of people are saying, oh, man, you know, he shouldn't do that with Wilder. I think Tyson Fury, someone who has been an advocate for mental health, I honestly think Tyson Fury sees what I see. When I hear Deontay Wilder come up with these seven different excuses that have nothing to do with one another, muscle relaxer, being scratched, foreign object, my ring walk outfit was too heavy. He he has gone from all of these different things. He is not handling this lost well. Moved on from his trainer. Got Breland, the man who threw the towel, got him out of his camp. He's the one who saved him. He's talking, talking down on his name. Something is going on with Deontay Wilder. He's not handling this loss well. And he wants to get back in the ring with the man who has beaten him twice. Boxing is a dangerous sport, obviously, right? Newsflash. You understand? I get it. Captain Obvious. But I think sometimes when we are discussing athletes, it's easy to ignore the human side of things. I think it happens often, all the time in professional sports. You get paid so much money, suck it up. Oh my gosh, it's just sports. Like, we always ignore the human element when it comes to our athletes. But then we also, I don't know if diminish is the word, but because so many of our sports that we love are so barbaric, 
It's almost as if we put we put that into a lockbox way deep down in our conscience. So we, we don't have to hear like you know, our inner selves say, Hey man, this is this isn't right. But when I hear Deontay Water talk like this, after seeing him lose like that, I'm I'm looking around and I'm like, man, you you really this doesn't end well, is what I'm trying to say. Luckily, Tyson Fury is, you know, I guess sympathetic to what could be happening right now with Deontay Wilder. I mean, you see it all the time. This isn't new. When big-time prize fighters, specifically big-time punchers, get their first loss, there's like two ways, like three ways that could happen. If you lose, some guys have the grit and the, the determination to get back out there. If you get knocked out, I remember when Paul Williams lost. And it was, people were like, hey, man, I don't know if he's going to come back. Paul Williams was like, it was him and, and Floyd, like the best. Like, Paul was just phenomenal. He went to sleep, never was the same again. And people didn't know. It wasn't like it was surprising because this is what happens. When big-time fighters who have been so dominant lose and lose in a spectacular way, you have no idea how the body, the psyche responds. The excuses are clearly a defense mechanism for Deontay Wilder. But the loss has already happened. You feel me? So why is there still a defense mechanism now, months later? You know, we're at the point now where, you know, we're at the anniversary or just past the anniversary of Antonio Tarver beating, knocking out Roy Jones Jr. And I remember the second fight. Remember, Roy fought Tarver and won a controversial decision before the second one. And Roy just like, all right, let's run it back, which was didn't make any sense because it was a hard-fought fight. And again, so a lot of people think Tarver won the first fight. But Roy ran it back, and obviously we know what happened in the second fight. And immediately following the fight, it was like, oh, man, you know, he caught me with the lucky one. And I guess as a fighter, you got, you have to, you know, talk yourself out of because it can never be, man, I just lost, right? Man, I, maybe I'm not as good as I once was. It can never be that, so it's, oh, it's a lucky one. But you hear that all the time. People like, man, you know what just won my day? He caught me, lucky punch, whatever, whatever. This wasn't just one punch. And this is always the issue I had with Wilder. He didn't want to fight Klitschko. Didn't want to fight Hay. He didn't want to get in there with the top upper echelon heavyweights. Parker, White. He didn't want to do it because he couldn't box. So he would beat up on these dudes and knock them out and build this reputation. And, and, you know, he's a hell of a puncher. But when he was in there with Tyson Fury, especially in the rematch, you saw it. He didn't know what he was doing. And you can't excuse, you can't wipe that all away. You can't dismiss all of that just on a lucky punch. He got his ass kicked. He was bleeding from his ear. Nose was busted. Lip was busted. Couldn't stand straight. Got dropped multiple times. 
There ain't no one punch. There ain't no lucky punch. And now you saying you he was scratching you? I may not be the biggest Deontay Wilder fan. I think that's pretty clear. But I don't wish any of this on to anybody. Specifically somebody who does good stuff. Like Deontay Wilder's a good... I don't like the hype that was there. Again, I felt like, man, because I was once a fan, so I was turned off by the lack of improvement. You know, it, it just felt like it wasn't dedicated. The dedication wasn't there. And hell... He even started leading into it. He's like, man, look, I don't have to be perfect for 12 rounds. I only have to be perfect for one punch. It was like that was his mantra. It was like he knew he wasn't a great boxer, but I got this right hand. So that turned me off, but I don't dislike him. So when I see all this, man, I'm like, this doesn't end well. And you know what? Look at his peers. Look at his peers. They are like sharks. They can smell the blood in the water. Dillian White, he been chirping for a minute, but he talking super reckless now. Like we said, Tyson Fury is the perfect guy because I think he realizes, all right, man, this dude's not in a good space. And he's even said as much. He's like, man, look, my phone is, you know, he's like, my phone is always there. You can talk to me. It's clear. AJ ain't even saying anything anymore. We ain't even talking about AJ and Wilder anymore. And we can have that conversation for all of y'all who swore that Anthony Joshua didn't want to fight Deontay Wilder. Y'all, where y'all at now? Ain't nobody ducking him. You know what it is with him. But all of these other fighters, Parker's all of a sudden talking about Deontay. Like, why? when you start talking, you don't ever talk. Because they can sense it. They can smell it. Don't be surprised if Alexander Usyk fights him now. Because that's... Wilder still has... His name still carries a cachet. Usyk, he didn't look that great against Jazor. He didn't. But he can outbox. Like, he doesn't, he doesn't have the punching power at heavyweight just yet. But one thing he knows how to do is box. And one thing that Jazor saw showed the world is that yeah Usyk he still gets touched in combinations Wilder don't know how to throw combinations so now people are like hey man let's let's get the cachet of beating Wilder while his name still means something because everybody knows this is the sinking shit this is the Titanic right now and it's scary because like this ain't for play you don't play boxing it's the old adage you don't play boxing. You feel me? You get in there, and if your mind is not right emotionally, you're not stable, whatever it is. Like, you you are in for a, you are losing some of your quality of life every time you step into the ring. And for whatever reason, Deontay Wilder has not been able to bounce back from his loss in February and is looking scary moving forward boxing fans hey man hit me up let me know what you guys think next weekend it's it's like it just doesn't stop we have we're coming up on spence garcia i can't believe it's almost here you know what i mean like i can't wait so you know we're going to talk about it next weekend but if you're a fan of the sweet science y'all always know 
I'm always here for you. Email me at quarterlyreport at gmail.com. Tweet at the show at quarterly show, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E show. Again, like this, the, the end, the fin, the finale, the way 2020 has finished as a boxing fan, it's been nothing short of amazing, spectacular. And we still have a huge fight coming up next weekend. You know we're going to be discussing Spence Garcia. All right, guys, the third quarter now is in the books, which means we are down to our final quarter. And it's scary, it's sad, and it's a bit frustrating, disappointing, that despite the fact that our entire lives have has changed so dramatically because of this pandemic, we have the NFL specifically, but sports leagues generally still tempting fate to play some games. And on this holiday week, it's got me thinking, which is why we're going to end the show with this, our fourth topic this week. Fourth quarter. You know, I hate sounding like a broken record. Each week when, you know, I'm coming up with the topics and you know how I want to talk about each topic, I spend a good amount of time figuring out, yo, man, like how can I make this engaging? How can I make this entertaining? And how can I convey my ultimate point in a fashion that will obviously entertain you all, but also be a bit compelling? And, you know, each quarter, you know, I kind of figure out, okay, man, this is pretty good. Because there's each week in sports and just entertainment, there's so many different things to discuss. And I, I really don't like sounding like everybody else. I know so many other people are going to talk about, man, how come the Saints didn't play Jameis, right? How come, you know, Tom Brady versus Jared Goff? And while I understand that a lot of people also are going to talk about John Wall and the Wizards, but, like, I have to find the stuff that, that reaches, that speaks to me. And I try my best to do it in a matter in which it doesn't become redundant. I can keep it fresh. You know what I'm saying? Because, you know, I appreciate you guys rocking with me each week. And, you know, I want the show to continue to grow. And I, like, and I love doing this. You know what I'm saying? So, of course, you're going to invest your time to, to put your best foot forward, if you will. But there's not that many, like, there's no other way I can keep on talking about COVID and the dangers and the selfish nature that we as sports fans, myself included, again, I'm doing an entire podcast on sports. Though I would, you know, like to say that when we shut down sports, I was I'm, I was fine. Right? For all the all of the content creators out there, if you have a pod or you have a blog or you're doing your stuff in sports and, and entertainment as well, listening to me. Yo, like, we don't need, there's so much other stuff to discuss, right? We shouldn't be completely tied to live sports. I'm speaking of my specific example now. Like, this this desire to push through is ridiculous. And we keep playing with fire, right? We talked about this earlier. Playing with fire, not cashing in your chips, playing around with your food. We are tempting, literally tempting fate. And here is just the latest example. The Buffalo Bills tight end Tommy Sweeney 
has come down with myocarditis. Now, you don't have to be a physician. You don't have to be a doctor. You understand? You don't have to have watched House. When you hear carditis, instantly your brain knows, oh, shit, that's with the heart. No matter what it is, you start playing around with the heart, we are venturing off into really, really dangerous territory. Thus far, college football and the NFL specifically, and I'm talking about those, I'm talking about football right now, but we could, you know, expand this topic because the NBA is going to restart outside of a bubble now. But it feels as if the NBA, and I know for a fact the NBA is led by money. They all are. But it feels as if the NBA at least listens to doctors, at least listens to medical professionals, experts. We know the NFL doesn't. They have a history of this. The concussions, CTE, we know about that for a fact. And now when you see this news about Sweeney, and you're like, this man is now out for the remainder of the year, obviously, but what like you can't play around with your, you know, myocarditis is the entire heart, not just the vessel, not a valve, the entire heart, right? Swelling. This is crazy. This is crazy. The Baltimore Ravens had two players. Mark Ingram, and I'm forgetting the other player, come down or placed on the COVID reserve list. This was announced on Monday afternoon. The Baltimore Ravens are playing on Thursday. You feel me? What exactly are we doing? I, I wish I could. I wish I could present this in a new way. I wish I could present this in a more clever entertaining, engaging way, but there's nothing else that we can say. What is happening? How is it that we can just brush all of this aside for our fantasy teams? Make no mistake, the NFL is doing it because they need the money. They want the money. It's all about the money. Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase said it best. Everybody's got a price. And it's true, but Slim... Supply and demand. The money is there because we have this insatiable desire to continue to consume everything. The NFL, the NBA, Major League Baseball, hockey, tennis, soccer, whatever the case may be, that gives us. Dog, it should not be this hard, bro. I'm not asking the NFL to be the morale police. They're, they don't have any. And Lord knows. Just look back at the last four years, last three, four, five years. We can see that this league doesn't care, has no kind of morality, if you will. None of these leagues do for real. Some of them fake better than the others, but ultimately when it comes down to it, nah, it's all about that paper. But this, we are playing around very, very dangerous in a very dangerous environment here, man. Like, anybody 
But it, and I know people say, oh, man, it's a 97%. Like, dog, I get it. Like, survival rate, yeah, I get it. You know, the majority of us will not die because of this. The majority of us. 3%? Y'all running around like 3% is nothing. If I told you right now, you go outside, whenever you're listening to this, if you go outside, let's say 12 p.m., you're listening to this in the afternoon. If I told you if you go outside 12 p.m. to 1 p.m., you have a 3% chance of winning $100 million. Like, literally. Just coming to you. You're not going to take those odds? Y'all motherfuckers play, you know, the lottery. You got a 1 in 5 billion chance to win. And I'm, I'm just joking. I'm throwing numbers out there. But if I told you you had a 3% chance to win $100 million if you just walked outside, you stayed outside for two hours, every last one of y'all motherfuckers is going to do it. But we all have a 3% chance to catch this virus. No, we don't actually, no, we don't have a 3% chance to catch this virus because those odds are skyrocketing right now. We've got a 3% chance of dying from this virus. And we've got people, humans, who are just larger than the majority of us, football players. They're just bigger from America. So you know what the health conditions are in this country. So you, the likelihood that some of these guys, that many of these guys have pre-existing conditions is through the roof and they're larger individuals. And it's just spreading all throughout. Like It's gone so, almost every team has had to deal with this. And now the Bills, a player has to, the entire season for him is done. But that's not even at the biggest, at the forefront for him, his life. If you couldn't do something for it, if you had to stop working because your heart, there was an issue with your heart, right? I'm assuming you would look at things a bit differently. But nah, man, we just keep on plugging along. Give me my fantasy points. Oh, man, I wanted to. Tom Brady, he he came out of this better than Bill Belichick. We, we just do the dumb shit, myself included, talking about Carson Wentz last week. All the while, these dudes, we tempting fate. The NFL says, hey, man, Ravens, Steelers, Thursday night, going on that schedule. <laughs> and, I, you know, you just look around and you're like, what, what are we doing? Like, we can, we can sharpen the focus and just look focused specifically on sports. Or we can widen the view. And look at us as a society. Everywhere we go, the Raptors won't be able to play in Toronto for the NBA season because Canada's like, no, y'all Americans are on some other shit right now. Y'all not coming up here. Canada will have a a, a, a rise, a spike to like 4,000 people or something with coming down with it. America gets that in a day and a half, like, you know, three days. We... And you just look around like, what are we doing? People don't even want to wear masks. And we're playing football? We had sports in a bubble, and now leagues are like, all right, the bubble's done. Let's get this money. You have some teams who want fans in the stands. Fucking Matt Liner. Did y'all see this? Matt Liner goes on Twitter, and he's complaining about how California, you can't have you can't eat at a restaurant. 
And he's like, man, it's awful here. I can't wait to move. Shut the fuck up, man. And then, rightfully so, Bama's went on his ass on Twitter. He's like, hey, you know, lefties. Shut up. Matthew Stafford's wife. She's on her Instagram, damn near ready to cry. And then she wants to hide it under the guise of, hey, you know, I'm just concerned about all these small businesses. No, you're not. You're inconvenienced. You've been so privileged. And now you can't eat out where you want to. You can't go where you want. To. You can't get your spa. You can't go. You can't do all the things that you're so accustomed to doing. And now you want to throw a tantrum. All the while, people are dying left and right over something that we could control relatively easily. I do feel for small businesses, 100%. I 100% do. I think anybody with a conscience, anybody with a soul, you go places and you see people struggling, people's whole lives, they've been working for this. And then because of a month, a few months, several months, a year of just piss poor management, this is what it all stems from. We could be better. We could be, look around the world. Was it going to be hard? For sure. Our government basically was like, dog, y'all be all right. Our government made a a decision. They made a wager that if we didn't address like the the economy, and when they say the economy, they're just talking about stocks. That's not the economy. That if we powered through, that this would be this would not be this big of a deal that we would be able to get over it. They put their wager on the stock market and not on people's lives. And that's what happens with leadership, man. If your leader is carrying it a certain way, that goes down, it trickles down, man. And look at every single league. Look at, look at all these entities. Man, Hollywood was still trying to release movies in the theaters just to get their paper. Thank God for local. Well, I can't say that depending on where you live. But thank God, for me at least, for local government, like local government being like, dog, this is insane. County executives, mayors, governors, and some of y'all governors, and again, I don't think I have any listeners in the Dakotas, but if I do, shout out to y'all, y'all stay safe. Y'all governors is nuts. Y'all keep playing, we keep playing with fire. And then surprised when everything is burned around us. Shout out to Tommy Sweeney, man. I hope. And shout out to anybody. Anybody who has had to deal with this. Anybody like first responders, nurses, doctors, people who work in hospitals. Man, God bless y'all, bro. Because I can only imagine how this is impacting you guys. Not just from a health perspective, but from a, an emotional, a psychological perspective. They're talking about like our more like hospitals at capacity. We got the, the Coast Guard coming in to work in morgues to get bodies. Like, what are we doing? Fucking Matt Liner. I saw that shit. I was like, man, what? What? Are we? Uh, <laughs> I know this is the holiday week. 
I really didn't want to end the show this way. But, man, when you're watching football this Thursday, just for one second, and I don't like, and, again, I'm all about, you know, manifesting energy, being careful with your words, being careful with your thoughts. So don't stay on it. Don't stay on it for long. But just imagine you around the television with your family, with your loved one, watching football, being played during a pandemic, understanding the increased level, right, the increased dangers that NFL players specifically, because of their size, their pre-existing conditions, what they in the close proximity in which they are playing with one another. Imagine if on Thanksgiving we're watching these games and a tragedy happens because of COVID. Don't think about it for a long time, but just real quickly. Can you imagine, like, how does that feel? And how would that make you feel knowing that we all have some culpability with this? Because we're all watching, we're all engaging in it. Let's hope, let's pray that this doesn't happen for anybody, but especially with a college kid, a high school, there's places that want to play high school football that's still playing high school football. I would like to think that we're better than this, but it's clear we are not, not at all. And unfortunately, I don't, I don't even think that if a tragedy were to happen, that it would stop us from keep on trying to push forward. And that's the scariest thing of all. Hey guys, again, I hate that we ended the show this way. So go ahead and listen to halftime again. Listen to Shaq talk shit about Dwight Howard. I don't know, man. <laughs> Hopefully, you know, you've got plans this Thursday to have a safe, right, small gathering of family and friends. If you do, man, shout out to y'all. Make sure y'all stay safe. Enjoy your Thursday. If you're not really big on Thanksgiving or if it's a, a tough time of the year for you, man, shout out to you. Blessings to you, man. Hopefully, you know, you have something that can kind of bring you peace. I know. This is a tough time of the year for a lot of different people. And for 2020, I can only imagine how much more difficult this would be. So, again, everybody, man, stay safe physically, mentally, emotionally. Do what it is that you have to do to keep up, man. You know what I mean? To stay up. Uh, like I said, man, I know these times of the years, I've met people where this time of the year is really, really tough for them. So, shout out to y'all, man. Blessings to y'all. But more importantly, man, stay safe, y'all. Stay safe. Be smart. Know what time it is. Wash your hands. Wear your fucking masks. Tell your loved ones you love them. And keep them safe as well. You dig? Like, all of this stuff, it's a lot. I know we all going through fatigue. We're saying it's COVID fatigue, quarantine fatigue, whatever it is, man. Guess what? Y'all still alive. You feel me? You can still breathe. You're not worried about whether you're going to make it or not tomorrow. So, all of those things are reasons to be thankful for. Again, I love Thanksgiving. If you do too, man, enjoy your day. Even if you don't, man, make sure, you know, you do whatever it is that you need to do to keep your peace to stay safe. And I will see you guys right back here next Thursday. Thursday, what am I talking about? The quarterly report comes out every Tuesday, every Tuesday, okay? Make sure you guys download and subscribe on the, uh, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play. Y'all can tell, man. I'm running on E right now. Make sure you guys download and subscribe to the Quarterly Report Podcast. Again, email me at quarterlyreport at gmail.com. Tweet at the show at quarterlyshow. 
And again, if you guys don't mind, download and subscribe, but leave a review, rate and review the show. Tell me, tell your friends, tell the world why you love this podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Enjoy your holiday. And I will see you guys back here next Tuesday, Tuesday, for another episode of the Quarterly Report.